0: Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed Him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now, here's Pastor Rafael.
1: The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lamentations three twenty-two to twenty-three. Amen. You can take it to the bank, my friends, for any rainy or sunny day and all points in between. God is good when people are not, and His gracious care is upon all of us each morning. So let me welcome you back. I'm Rafael Martinez, a minister with the Church of God Cleveland Movement, once more at the helm of our podcast entitled, Where Are We Going? Thanks for downloading our program. It's now mid-May 2023, and the beauty of creation waking from its winter sleep is all around us. In kind of a like manner, we're reopening our podcast today after we had to go dark once more for the past almost two months due to a variety of ministry projects we've been pursuing, which we'll chat about in a second. Uh, we're still viewable on Spotify, Amazon, Google, and all Aud- and Odyssey uh, podcast channels now, and we're glad to be back. We're hoping to, uh, and uh, and praying that you'll come back and continue to join us and uh, to thank you for downloading us. We're going to continue releases at midnight on Saturday night, as we have in the past. And our ability to create quality content, however, directly determines our release times. And we used to premiere two podcasts a week. Hopefully, that's going to resume, but so just stay tuned. But for now, Late Night Saturday is going to be our shine time. Uh, this podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, an outreach of Christian discernment since 1993 that's dedicated to helping people take heed and no one deceives them, doing what Jesus in the gospel, according to Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, said, we all ought to be doing, to determine truth in the world that is rapidly falling into its own winter of lies. Our podcast is focused upon biblical precept and social commentary which exposes deceptive spirituality and provides perspective upon the influences of evil all around us. Uh, we're grateful for all the inquiries we've received as well as the support and your prayers that you've also offered. We're humbled and privileged to learn how much of a difference we're making in the world today in the conflict of good versus evil and that we take the stands that we do for truth. So what's been going on? Why we, as we said, went dark for a couple of months here. Well, the, main, the one main reason we've had to take time off was to pursue the creation of a full-length video presentation of our newest teaching on biblical discernment which was presented at the Evangelical Ministries to New Religions Conference in Tallahassee, Florida at the end of April. We went dark a few weeks before that, simply just because the amount of time it took to research, write and format it into a teaching streaming video, it just required it. And our, our engineers can only do what they can when I get that content I spoke of to them. And on the, actually, the day it began, a day before it's showing, actually, uh, we finally completed the teaching and, it, and uploaded it, and it's now viewable on our Spirit Watch YouTube and Vimeo channels. The teaching is entitled, The Absence of Love and Abusive Spirituality, Two Christian Case Studies. This is a review of how biblical agape, or love, is absent from the indoctrination of cultism that you see in religion all around us specifically in the toxic formation that's practiced by those two Ohio Valley cults that are largely off the radar of countercult discernment, which we've been discussing here in the podcast. As many of our listeners are quite aware, they have been enthusiastically abusing their recruits for a total of some 70 years. These case studies focus on the Zenos Christian Fellowship, which now calls itself the Dwell Community Church, and the Gladstone Community, which also now calls itself, a different name, the Madison Place Community Church. And this fulfills Matthew chapter twenty four, verse twelve. I showed how their evil doing proves that passing doctrinal muster alone never guarantees the spiritual integrity or veracity of any claimed church or ministry, and the dire need for the church, or really anyone within or without it, to discern, counter, and respond to the very brazen nature that, they, uh, that is exhibited in their challenges to biblical faith and disruption by the behavior that they model. I might add here that this was the description of the talk uh, that I gave for the, uh, for the, uh, the teaching on the emner.org website. I could have said a lot more, but I only had 45 minutes to deliver a talk and ended up taking almost an hour and 10 minutes to do so. Uh, there was just too much we couldn't avoid. Uh, But the big takeaway from this teaching is an insight on how cults so well hide their deception using what I've called their heretical culture and how it successfully has been able to avoid scrutiny by so many outside of their four walls. I'd encourage you to check it out and give some time studying it. Handouts were created, which will get posted to our blog eventually, as well as our own description of the workshop as well. It's Spirit Watch Ministry's own contribution to understanding the spiritual deceptions of our day, and we're thankful for the opportunity that EMNR gave us to present. May it live long and prosper. Uh, But there was no time to waste, however, so as soon as the dust from the download settled, we went immediately right back to the preparation of our expose on the Gladstone Community Cult, which has consumed the lion's share of our time since August of 2022. For the past nine months, we've done all we can to bring a penetrating perspective on the rise and growth of this dangerously deceptive movement. Our research has involved literally dozens of hours of personal interviews, scouring the internet, and the sharing of resources and information about Gladstone's history and past with survivors and family members and concerned parties all around them. Like other communal cults, Gladstone has created its own business units to support itself in the Cincinnati area, has incorporated as a nonprofit organization to enjoy the IRS perks that that this brings, and basks in a very comfortable relationship with too many pathetically undeserving institutions and, of course, churches there in the area. Now, we've had an incredible response and assistance from so many people who've been terribly abused or impacted by this merry band of so-called Jesus followers, led by one Zach Kaczynski, who knows the story and, and, and knows what's going on in more ways than we can tell. Now, the story of this group needs to be told, and the story is going to expose its grotesque hypocrisy, its crushing religious abuse and how utterly undiscerning the Christian community around it has been. Many of them are Christians who were indeed quite discerning, but found that the bandwagon of religion that bore Gladstone through the streets of the area there was too loud and musical to drown out. To you who have hung in there, opposing this deceptive movement, and standing for the sake of the truth about it behind their pretty Christian picture, we owe an inestimable debt, and we hope our expose can help do what our only factual evidence can do to pull that mask off. Thanks just doesn't say it enough from us, but it's heartfelt. Thank you so very much for your help. We understand that since our podcast on Gladstone started last year, that there's been a lot of impact brought to bear upon their influence and that they're feeling the heat of scrutiny like never before. A brief but critical 2016 article published by a local magazine brought so much of that upon them back then that it led them to change their name to the Madison Place Community Church and buy a building and turn a church into the with that name, as well as uh, uh, stir up the creation of a coffee house in the area as a major source of their income, since it seems they started to lose support from the churches they parasitically fed off of for so long. So in the past year or so, we've heard of similar tidings, but at a much more accelerated rate that are directly laying waste to their public image as harmless young Christian disciples. It reminds me of the appointments with their destinies that similar cult groups across America are facing, like the Church of Wells, the Grace Community Church of John MacArthur's, and the Mexican Immigrant Church of La Luz del Mundo. They're all led by smiling, pleasant people with impassioned followers shouting their praise and approval of the movement. who are also finding that they've outworn their welcomes because of their well-hidden and shag-nasty religious slavery they've laid on the backs of their followers. Wherever you turn, we're seeing more and more reports of a new church scandal these days, of sex, lies, and video clips, newly fallen pastors crying about their innocence, and a clutch of numbed, beaten congregations turning on those who were abused among them as hateful apostates. Judgment, Scripture says, begins at the household of God, and we're seeing that Bible truth come home more than ever before. And in the middle of it all, people are leaving such places with testimonies of what they've seen. And so we welcome to our podcast today, a former member of Gladstone, Molly Murphy, whose years in the Shadowlands that cult she now shares from today. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Where are we going? That's the, uh, one of the, the podcast ministries that we have here at uh, Spirit Watch Ministries. We're hoping to start a Bible teaching on before too much longer. Uh, and we are, that's one of our shifts that we're going to be moving towards in the, in the days to come. But, uh, for right now though, we are going to take another deep dive into, uh, tracing the extremism of, uh, of, uh, all kinds of various sects and things uh, <laughs> that we have encountered in our, in our uh, ministry in which we are asked about. And one of the biggest targets that we've unfortunately had to, uh, level our uh, attention upon is upon a movement called the Gladstone Community, which Recently renamed itself not too, well, several years ago, the Madison Place Community Church. And I have, uh, with us tonight, uh, one of, of the survivors who's left, uh, the movement, uh, by the name of Molly Murphy. And uh, I want to thank you, Molly, for coming on and being willing to share with us, uh, from, from your heart and from what you see there.
2: Yeah. No, thank you for having me. I, um, I'm excited about this because, you know, I just, I'm super grateful to have gotten out when I did and to be able to see the things I do now and, you know, love a lot of people that are still there. So this sure. is important.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, could you share with us a little about a little more about yourself, uh, how long you were with Gladstone and what years you were involved? Uh, I mean, from what I've read and what I've studied about Gladstone and, and the, in the expose that we're getting ready to publish, not too terribly long from now, uh, in learning about the history of movement, there are specific things that took place uh, that, that helped it get to be where it's at and, and uh, maybe help us understand where you were in the middle of, of all that change.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so I um, ended up at Gladstone in July of 2016. Um, it was right at the beginning of July. July 5th, actually. Um, in 2016, I went there. I actually previously had been Um, for six and a half years, addicted to heroin and had, you know, gone to rehab upon rehab and did a bunch of things that never worked and got connected to community through someone that my parents knew from church. And um, yeah, I went into their Lazarus ministry, which is um, their ministry where they bring in you know, drug addicts um, off the streets, and bring them in, help them detox, and essentially try to teach them about Jesus. So, I went there, and, um, it, you know, when you first get there, it's like almost feels too good to be true. Like all these people are so nice. I'm just this, you know, drug addict, and they're like paying for all my stuff. They're paying all my court fees. They're paying all of my debts off. They're helping me get through the day when I'm super sick right now. And it was like, I've never experienced something like this in my life. And I had grown up going to church and, you know, but I know, like, I think at some point I also realized like, I didn't actually know who Jesus was because truly they did um, portray him as you were entering it. Like it felt like, you know, obviously now in hindsight, it was obviously very intentional, but, you feel that when you come in and when you're someone who is very desperate for whatever reason, whether you're in addiction or just emotionally, you know, desperate or in any form where you just are hopeless, it's very easy to get sucked in, you know, to those things when, um, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, this is like a dream come true. So,
3: um,
2: You know, and I had been to rehabs and stuff before, so a lot of things I feel like at first didn't seem very weird to me, Um, like not being able to talk on the phone without them being there and all that stuff because I was kind of used to that, like institutionalized type of stuff. But it started to get a little weird, and my dad had actually first questioned me if it was a cult, maybe even just a month in because he still wasn't allowed to see me or talk to me, and he's the one that brought me there. You know, it's not like he was... On drugs or crazy or anything like he, yeah. he's the one that said he was very upset and confused. So, so, so within a,
1: so a month after your father, your father brought you, brought you there and within a month's time, they already started isolating you.
2: Yes. For oh. him, I was not, I was allowed to call him only f- after being there for two weeks and it had to be on speaker phone in front of my house coordinator or my house pastor and um, it would, I would only be able to call them once a week and I wasn't allowed to go home. I wasn't allowed to wow. meet them somewhere, any of that. Incredible. And to me, like I said, like, didn't seem weird. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, they're just afraid I might go use drugs is what I kept, you know, assuming was just, they didn't want me to be out. So, um, anyway. With, with,
1: with explaining it like in terms of, well, we don't want you contacting people because you might have a relapse or you might have stuff <laughs> come back to you. Or- how would explain yeah. the isolation to
2: you? They would tell me that, you know, even people like like my, okay, for so for example, my mom and I have, have had a little bit of a rocky relationship. So it was a little bit easier for me to understand with her because they were afraid that she would be a trigger for me because it's stressful, yeah. you know, it's blah, blah, blah. But my dad is like the total opposite. I've always been super close to him. He is, he's never done a drug in his life. He's not like, you know, there's no reason I could see he brought me there, he's met them, you know, when he brought me off and everything. So I'm like, you know, that was a little confusing to me, but he's, you know, they said, well, it'll just, you know, cause then if you see them, then you might have to see your siblings and then we don't know how that's going to go on. It's just, they just, you know, said there's things that you might not even know that you're going to struggle with. You haven't dealt with this before, you know, they, that's how they kind of would. Make you try to see their point and even if you didn't agree and you were angry, they would try to like help you understand, but like it wouldn't actually matter and you would just have to accept it whether you understood or not. Like it didn't matter (laughs) really, (laughs) you know. So once I had brought up to them, you know, then my house pastor had had this idea that we invite my dad for dinner and over to the house and we have Zach as my house elder be there and also Sebastian um who's another elder there um she said we should have them come and they can come have dinner you know whatever so we did do that Zach did not come um which is not surprising he usually dips out of those things um he doesn't really want to meet with anyone's parents or talk to anyone's parents or he's always very uh elusive in that way um but Sebastian did come Um, but you know my dad came he was a little bit concerned he was asking them questions like well what happens if she's like staying here for years and then like what if she needs to ever get a job or like what if she ever needs to do this like what what's going to happen when this happens and you know whereas my dad did have a worldly perspective he also was just he was just uneasy about a few things he didn't understand why this, you know, why it would operate the way it could, the whole money situation, and, and, and he didn't understand from somebody who I came with nothing anyway, so it's not like they took it from me, but it's like you have people that are nurses and physical therapists and, you know, psychologists that have all this money that they're putting in the same place, you know, so he just was like taken back by that. He didn't understand, you know, he just thought he kept asking me if it was a cult. And, and of course, you know, to me, I always, like, associate cult with something bad, and it's like, I would defend it
3: with yeah. everything I had, because it's oh, yeah. like, no, these yeah. people have
2: changed my life, blah, 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 but it, that's the problem, is it it wasn't, Jesus changed my life.
3: <laughs> right. Like,
2: it was, and it was, and he did, but at first, it was definitely very much like, uh, these people are the best, like, you know. Right.
1: Nobody nobody joins the extremist cult, okay? Nobody right. signs on for that. <laughs> they, they sign on f- to involve them with people... Who they share uplifting ideal with, they, they, they joined for all the right reasons. Is that's what you felt you, you were doing? And right. it was just that startling escalation of, of, of control over how you were going to live that out. I think that really got your, got your folks wondering and kicked up, I'm sure, not a few red flags. I mean, yeah. uh, I just. And that it, was
2: only a month in and I ended up being there for five years. So it right. was, that was even right at the beginning <laughs> before anything had actually even gotten started so
1: right exactly yeah and had was was he aware or i mean you came i mean you said you came from a a uh a um a a practice a counselor practice that sent you there as a as a referral i mean how did you end up getting ended up there
2: so one of the women that lived there actually used to teach art at my high school and a woman that goes to she doesn't anymore, but that used to go to the church in Harrison that we went to, um, knows her and knows about community that way and was just telling my dad, like, oh, hey, they bring people in. Like, because my dad didn't want me to go to rehab again because he didn't want me to be put on medicine that just, you know, kept me where I was at and all that stuff. We'd already done that a million times. So she was telling him about community's Lazarus ministry, and she knew one of the ladies that lived there. So she contacted her and had them call me.
1: I see. Okay, so that's that's So it was a, a word of mouth, basically, type thing, and and from people yeah. who your parents trusted. You know, the people who really? you thought were had nothing but. And I'm certain that they had nothing but the best of intentions. So.
2: Yeah, no, and she she was always trying to help, and, yeah. and was being. You know, she she's not a part. She's not affiliated with them. She just knew of them, and you know, thought that might be a good thing for me to get away from here. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you've already alluded to something that's, I think, really important to, to not lose sight of simply because of the fact of how central, uh, he is to everything that goes on there. At the heart of Glassstone's vision is, 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 uh, Zach, Zachary mm-hmm. His leadership in that Bible study in the earliest years of the millennium morphed into heading a full-blown movement of people that are living communally. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, you already had professionals and all kinds of people, uh, sharing the common purse lifestyle and people were living together. I mean, it was 24-7 immersion in this group. So, so really, who is Zach to Gladstone and how, how is he perceived by those inside and outside of it? Who, who is he?
3: So when you first meet Zach,
2: um, it depends. You know, some people, you, you hear either one of two things. Some people really click with Zach. And some people don't. Most people do not. Um, He doesn't connect with people on an emotional level very quickly, very easily. Um, I think a lot of times he seems a little bit emotionless. When I first was there, I was terrified of him. And I couldn't even tell you why. Like, (laughs) It's not like I was physically scared of him or anything crazy. It was just a weird, underlying, uneasy feeling. Yeah. And I just was so... I just felt weird about him. But then like Zach and I actually ended up getting super close. I trusted him a lot. He he ended up making me a leader at work and in my house. And we actually were very close. I defended him tooth and nail. Anytime somebody jumped on him, it was like, there's no way. Like, there's no way. Zach's not wrong. Like, and he got me. He, and, and that's why he made me a leader because he already knew that I was loyal to him. So that's, that's what happens is the people that are in leadership are the people that they know, trust them and, and are so grateful for them that they know you're going to mostly, at least blindly follow Zach. So, <clears throat> Zach is so, he is dangerously intelligent. He, you ask him anything and he will, def- he will argue you. And make you feel stupid, whether it makes sense or not. And he can even use the same thing with two different arguments and win the argument. He is so intelligent. He is so intentional. Mm-hmm. And he, he's the puppet master. You know, they try to say it's not a cult because there are seven leaders. There are not seven leaders. There are not. There are, there is Zach and there are the people directly under him that make him look like he's not running everything like he, like it's a dictatorship.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Hey, that's, that's how he, from, from, you know, from what I hear and what I'm seeing is so much micromanagement of people there. Yes. Down to the, down to how they spend their last dollar, uh, down to what time they go to sleep at night, down to what they even eat. I mean, that's just the sort of way life is regimented. And Zach's the one that orchestrates all that through, through mm-hmm. the elders in the, in the puppet master scenario you just painted, right?
2: Oh yeah. And, and that's the thing is, and it's, it's the elders and it's, you know, it's that all the leaders, like I, if I go to Zach and say, Hey, this is like going on with this person. He's like, okay, well then you're going to go and do this. Like he manipulates whatever, whatever outcome he wants for the situation. And he does it without you knowing it. He makes, he makes it seem like he's trying to help you and help the situation, help the person, whatever it is that you're talking about. And really it's whatever serves Zach's purpose every time, every
1: time. Right. So what he's doing is he's telling elders and leaders and those who are in a position to do anything or provide any kind of leverage uh he he tells them what to do and how to handle and tells them exactly how a person should be treated or how a situation should be yeah, dressed and like
2: what you're supposed to say and if they start crying you need to make sure that you don't let them manipulate you and you just make sure you keep drilling that point you you know all these things where it's like There's no like, hey, this is actually what biblical advice looks like. Follow the spirit. Let's ask him how this should go. (laughs) Or, you know, or what do you, you know, or even letting people learn how to um, speak to God and hear him on their own. Like, what, you know, have you talked, have you asked the Lord? They ask you that in situations that don't matter as much or, you know, Zach could care less about the the outcome, and they don't want it, he doesn't want to deal with it. Right. That's when he says, Have you talked to the Lord? Otherwise, it's oh, okay, good thing you have came to me. This is what we're going to do.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I mean, but that's, that's, uh, that's totally consistent with everything I've heard about it. You know, everything we've been hearing is, that, is, and when, that you, is,
2: when I got there, I heard about people trashing Zach in the past about being, you know a cult leader and all these things and and you feel you know this the way they tell it the way that they explain those situations you feel so bad for him and you're like and he's still sticking to you know with God anyways and it's like you're doing all this in the name of Jesus and it's all he hates all of it actually you know it's just mind-blowing like wow you I would hate to be Zachary Kaczynski on judgment day
1: yeah. do you know. I Amen to that. I that's exactly how I feel as well. Because if the scripture means what it says, if the Bible makes any sense at all, it makes very clear uh the standards that people are to be living by who claim to be leaders, and claim to and above all those who claim to speak in his voice. And mm-hmm. Zach certainly has done more than his share of doing that.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Glasgow community, from what we've heard just by every person we've interviewed over the past year and a half, is not the utopia it wants everyone outside to believe. You know, mm-hmm. there's this really profoundly disturbing dimension in their lifestyle, uh and it's primarily driven by Zach and his micromanagement through the elders. That mm-hmm. we can only describe as religiously abusive and even cultic. I mean, uh, you—we were mentioning before we got on, on, on our call here—is that uh, you had mentioned to me that uh, you were one of the people that really uh, knew exactly how to be. I mean, you, you were—you were taught by by Gladstone leadership how to defend itself against those charges. And yeah. so, so uh, I think obviously you agree that they are abusive and cultic. And, and what 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 perspectives can you share on how you were all taught uh, on how to handle any critical view of them? Yeah.
2: So you know, before I would like go home to my family. One of the you know, it's not it's usually it usually wouldn't be an elder because I feel like that sometimes made it a little obvious. But I've also been a leader before, so I know what they do, and they send certain people to you to you know, whatever. So, you know, someone would come to me like, okay, so what things do you, you know, do you think that you're going to have trouble answering when they ask? And like, they try to get you to start talking about things that you're maybe afraid of. And they try to offer it to you. Like, it's some kind of comfort, comfort, like, oh yeah, because like this, remember, like, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess like, You know, like that was a big thing, and then it's like, if I asked any questions to Zach, you know, or even Rosie, like sorry Brian Roselli, I would go because I was very close to him, and I would go to him too. And it's like he's he's just Zach's minion, that him specifically. And I think he is a lot less deceived than the rest of the elders, if I'm being honest. And and I loved him to death. I you know still have love for him. He was one of my best friends. I trusted him. He was someone I confided in a lot. And it's very hard for me to say that, but it's so true. And it's all these things I, I've encountered where I've brought them something. And, and even if it takes them telling you something bad about someone else, an embarrassing thing about another person, like they will do it to get the outcome that they want. And you yeah. know, they would tell you why yeah. they were doing it though. This is out of love. Like they would have you defend it in that way. And then it's like, Oh, we're not a cult. They would, they literally sat me down. I think it was Rosie, maybe Rosie, and um, Ben sat me down and were even, like, walking through with me why things were different than a cult in community. And one of them was what I had said earlier about um, them having seven leaders, not just one. One person doesn't just make all the decisions, and not one person has more money than the other people. And it's like, you know, all these things. Like, this isn't a cult because you're free to do this. And it's like, but you, but you're not free. You're not free to think for yourself. You're not free to get to know the Lord for yourself. And and even if, when you do start hearing his voice and he's starting to try to show you things, they shoot it down and they turn it into something else that serves what they want it to mean. And I had several dreams where I would go to Rosie and tell him that I, you know, was told that like, Kept getting told in my dream that I needed to get away from here, and he instantly, of course, that was the enemy. He didn't pray about it, didn't say anything else. It was just instantly
1: the enemy, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, yeah. So you progress in the movement long enough to start getting this indoctrination on how to defend uh, glass stone to people who are on the outside, or even within yourself, you know. And mm-hmm. and this, this rudimentary instruction was, I guess, was part of what you were. Uh, empowered by it, cause I think you said you would, uh, you would gladly fight tooth and nail against anyone that would raise any charge of cultism there at all. Mm-hmm. This, this became yeah. part of what, of what drove you.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, I think what was hard was they very quickly got me indoctrinated to how to defend community. Like it was, it was very quickly. I, I would say after my first month or so being there, I was already like, they knew I wanted to evangelize. So they were like, you know, telling me all these things that I need to know and like, wouldn't let me go out for a little while. And then I was only allowed to go to these places with these certain people. And, you know, it kind of went from there, but, um, but yeah, I would defend them with everything that I had. <laughs> Anyone that came at me about something about them, people that left that I dearly love that were trying to tell me things like, you know, I just believed what Zach said.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and, and do you, do you think everyone? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure everyone could probably do so, but uh, is this something that's pretty standard, where everyone within Glass is taught quickly, really quickly, in, in, along in their involvement? Is why this place is called a cult, call and why we are not? Uh, yes,
2: so- and I think so because. Most of the time when somebody comes to community, no matter where you're coming from, somebody on the outside in your family, somebody has questions and does not understand. So they usually prepare you for that because they know that on the outside looking in, it's easier for people to see what it is than Mm -hmm. when you're in it. And they're helping you and they're saving you from wherever you were or, you know. So, yes, I think it's a pretty standard thing. And for me specifically, like... I'm a lot calmer now than I was back then, but I was a little spitfire when I first got there. And I challenged them quite a bit my first month there, just like on their incessant rules and like not being allowed to be even in the house any in any room by myself for the first however long. Like, you know, I couldn't do anything. I had to wake them up in the middle of the night if I had to go use the bathroom and like wow. just things like that where I was just not used to that. I'm also, first of all, I was, you know, a drug addict and I was from the streets and I just did whatever I wanted. That was very hard for me. But, you know, as I, like, you now I feel like you know, I was just telling um, Christy this the other day. I I feel like I then, being in community, went to the total opposite end where, like, I was a doormat. And that was just not like me. And in a bad way, where it's not because I wasn't, like, aggressive anymore, but more of like a, I don't question anything. I'm afraid to challenge them on this because I've seen how this goes. And then towards the end of my time there, before I left, I started gaining some of that back because I was, I was sure that something was not right.
1: Right. You started seeing that there were, things weren't quite adding up. Once
2: you become a leader, you see a lot more. You're a part of the conversation where Zach's telling you to go say this to this person and this person wants to leave. Let's all show up in the front yard and make them feel absolutely awful. Like, you know, of course he doesn't say it like that, but I'm saying like you start to be a part of those things when you become a leader in any capacity and you either are continuously to be, you know, being deceived by it or you eventually start to see like okay, I don't yeah. know about this, yeah. you know.
1: In, in, any kind of corrupt leadership is always a double standard isn't there? I mean, there that, that, that was something that uh, you know, obviously they felt that you were Leadership material. You're you're fast on your feet by way of thinking. You can think and 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 just give the best uh, answers for things and and you know, and that's what they want. They uh, in any cult leadership, you know, they want people who are who are able and willing to uh, you know provide that kind of uh, really uh, on the go, kind of on the fly leadership. People who are really just to speak into situations and take control over them uh, for the greater good. Uh, yeah, they so, almost
2: want you to first be. See- you know they want to make you to where you're loyal enough, and then they make you to be bold enough because they want you to be boldly loyal to them. Right. And go, and they don't want you to be afraid to go against anything. They just want you to think that
1: right. You need to defend them at all costs. What What were some of the uniquely distinctive lifestyle standards of the community that that I think they would have probably told you to, to defend? I mean, like common purse mm-hmm. and things of that nature. I mean, uh, the the whole, their whole standards on on um a uh, uh, marriage and i mean uh on yeah. courtship, I mean, what were some of those other distinctive lifestyle saying that 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 stood out that they felt they had to have you sit there and draw fire for?
2: um I think one of the things that a lot of people couldn't understand and that very much like a control thing, and this is it seems like a small thing, but the the principle is the same like the whole underlying problem is the same is that it's a control thing and they are trying to test to see how far that that you will, you'll, you know, you'll do this. And then as soon as people break, they, they give you what you want. It's like, depending on what it is, of course, but like, for example, this, their self, cell phone policy, like when you first come to community, depending on why you're there, you usually don't have a phone and I didn't have one for years. like, not at all. Then I was given a flip phone because they didn't want me to have a smartphone. Well, then I finally got a smartphone after a year or so of the flip phone just for them to have blocked it. I couldn't even check the weather on it. They blocked everything on it. And it's like, well, what the, what was the point on the flip phone? <laughs> if it's the same thing as what I have right now, it's just, uh, you know, and then they wanted to give me an iPod. So then I had, you know, I had a flip phone and an iPod because they thought that was like, you know, going to help me shut up for a little bit longer, but at the same time, like not giving me what made sense. And it was just like one of those things that nobody understood and then somebody else well, didn't have a phone at all for four whole years while they were there, were not able to, um, you know, mother their own child. They weren't allowed to do anything. And she finally threatened to leave. And then they had 50 people, me I included. I was there show up in the front yard, trying to beg her to stay. And she ends up staying and she gets an iPhone the next day because they don't want her to leave over that. Wow.
1: Incredible. <laughs>
2: So that's and one. Like, you know, that seems like a small thing, yeah. but it's just one of those things where it's like, why does that matter? Like, why are you controlling this?
1: Right, exactly. I remember Eric Krause was on here, well, not to, well, he was one of the very first people where I remember yeah. his sharing with the fact that he had been so caught up with, with pursuing a young woman there. And mm-hmm. he's trying to do, he's trying to do this courtship the way that uh, Gladstone's leadership wanted them to do and have them completely... although
2: they're going to allow, because they actually
1: don't. <laughs> right, exactly. But they, they let him along, letting him think right. that he, mm-hmm. was, he was doing what they wanted to. And, and it turns out that they ended up telling him, in the end, well, we don't think it's right if you move ahead with her. She is uh someone who's had a really bad relationship breakup, uh she's getting counsel from members of her house. We just don't think the Lord wants you to go through with this. And An much, abuse of privacy, first of all. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that they do. They they get involved yeah. in that. And then they turn around and they went ahead and, and uh he found out later from her directly that when he asked her specifically about the struggle she was having, she denied having any. She was actually kind of puzzled, wondering, "Wait, I'm not in counsel with anybody for anything. So the elders basically lied to him.
2: And, that, and that's the thing is um, one of the biggest things, the biggest eye-openers after leaving is realizing how many things were genuinely lies, not just, oh, that was maybe confusing or whatever. No, they will straight-up lie in it, what, for to, on anybody mm-hmm. for anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
2: And yeah, it's very scary to think about. It. It's like these people who people believe God has entrusted them with these, you know, with that, with their lives, and they're being led astray every single day and serving Zach's purpose and being abused.
1: Right. Right. And 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 they have no no absolutely no bones about. I mean, they don't have any problem lying in your face about these things and looking no. so sincere and innocent and pious about it.
2: I was told that. I don't know if it came from Zach directly or who exactly said it, but when I left, I was told that community was told by someone in leadership, uh, one of the elders, I assume, that I had a kid that I hid from them. (laughs) I had a kid this whole time, and he's like, however many years old, and it was a total lie. I have no idea where it came from or why that was told or
3: well, we know why. <laughs> right, but I'm like, yeah. I'm like,
2: why is that what you said? That's a weird thing to say.
3: Right, yeah. But I don't know. Who knows? But it's, it's just like, you
2: know, you just see, hear these things and you're like, wow, you really do just straight lie to us to do whatever it is that you want us to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. That certainly sounds uh, consistent. Uh, it's, 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 just, it's just woven into the, into the fabric of the community life that it's, it's mundane. It's ordinary. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, anyone going to an elder or a leadership asking a question can, can probably reasonably expect to be told, uh, a deceptive thing altogether, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. just how it all works there.
2: Yeah. It just, you're only going to get counsel that guides you to what they want. Right. And, well, essentially what Zach wants.
1: Right. And you mentioned that you had been part of the Lazarus ministry and that uh, part of that is, is, could you explain what the Lazarus ministry is and does and how, it, how it interfaces uh, with other uh, agencies in the area? From, from what I get, uh, that was one of the main conduits that uh, Gladstone was getting a lot of recruits from, uh, was yeah. from other, other area, other churches and ministries in the area who I assume we're unaware of what was going on. And uh, yes. so, can you share a little bit about, about what that was all about? Yeah.
3: yeah. So, the Lazarus
2: Ministry, um, basically, you bring people in off the streets or from other places, like you just said, another facility, another ministry, somewhere where they're, you know, you, whether that be you go out and find them by evangelizing or they're connected, how I was connected, whatever it is, you, you know, you assess. First it was, you know, you just bring anyone in that wants help because we're going to help them. Then it was like, oh, no, now they have to answer these questions and qualify for us to bring them back. And it was very strange. That was very, like, a lot of people thought, you know, Zach didn't really care much for that ministry. So it was a little bit up and down, back and forth. But for a while it was, um, you know, we had... Two yeah, two Lazarus houses for women and then three for men.
1: Um Were they full houses or were they rooms? I mean I I help me understand that.
2: So the Lazarus rooms, it's basically you live in the same house like as you know, it's like a women's house, like just how all the other houses are, but they usually have a special room in the basement that has two beds and its own bathroom so that you can basically detox in peace. So you don't have to share a bathroom with everybody else. And somebody has to be with you all the time. So someone sleeps down there with you. There's an alarm on the door. Mm-hmm. So you can't get out without waking someone up. <laughs> and, you know, so when I first went there, they didn't have the Lazarus room built yet at the house that I moved into. So I was in a normal room. Upstairs with somebody and the bathroom was not in the room, so I had to wake him up every time I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night while I was sick or anything because I couldn't open the door without a loud alarm going off. <laughs> um, so that, um, you know, and the first, they tell you when you come in the first few days, they're going to be, you know, they're going to help you get off drugs and get through the detox, the physical detox, the mental part, you know, gets you where you're at least on the, the upside of it. And then, whoa, teach you about Jesus and you can choose the first commitment is 10 days at the end of your 10 days you start to you know assess if you want to stay for another 30 days and then after 30 days you decide if you want to move on if you want to stay for a little you know kind of what do you want to do Do you want to move in and sign covenant do you want to you know just be gone like what do you want to do Mm -hmm. most people that made it to committing to 30 days ended up staying um which honestly was not was less people than the people that left. There's a lot of people obviously that don't make it through the first few days because they tell you that but you get there and the next morning they expect you to be up at five AM and want you to work all day and you're de- you know, people are detoxing from heroin or whatever it may be and they're expected to work at five AM and that's what and then they don't last because they can't and it's misleading for one, because we aren't taking the first few days to get them past that because we can't help them until they're mentally right, we cannot, like, it's not going to help them if, you know, we can't even, mm-hmm. they're not going
1: to retain what we're saying. Right. So, right. so, so the, so the last rooms are basically an attempt by uh the Gladstone uh, Outreach to engage people who are struggling with addictive behaviors or not addictive but addictions who are, mm-hmm. who are actually physically addicted to drugs and, and and whom we're expected to go through this experience and and painfully withdraw from them and we're told one thing about how to expect the experience but when they got there they were basically turned into. Gladstone, uh, neophytes, they became recruits who were supposed to jump on the work gospel and work mm-hmm. from day, from sunrise to sundown, uh, right alongside everybody else there and, and, and not, and not deal with their, 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 their you know, uh, the, the physical impact that leaving drug, uh, lifestyles was going to do with them. Yeah. Is that right?
2: And, and that's, yeah. And eventually like once I was like past, the part of detoxing and I was like starting to be able to be with people at work while they were detoxing and kind of being in charge when they were with me. And it's like, I started to tell them like, Hey, like we cannot force, her, like this girl is going to leave. And I think it's better if we let her go home and rest. She needs to rest. Like, you know, I I can't tell her she has to get up and work. Like I just can't do that because I've also been where she's at and I know how awful that was. Like, And the only reason I didn't leave is because I was so, at that point in my addiction, I was so desperate that I don't know that anything could have made me leave. You know, when I, when I had first gotten there, I was so determined to, you know, it's hard. And and you see people like they literally can't even stand up and then they're embarrassed because then we have, you know, the guys on the work crew that are like sometimes in the same areas and they, can't stop going to the bathroom where they're trying, you know, have to lay down and can't even move. And it's like, this is just degrading and like embarrassing and not helpful. And they absolutely want to leave. (laughs) Oh yeah. You
1: know? Yeah. yeah. Did any of the, any of the outside agencies who directed people that, were they aware of any of this, of this bait and switch recruit?
2: No. And I think unless you lived in a Lazarus house, you probably knew very little about the, the recruiting process. Basically, if you went out and evangelized and they thought you could possibly bring home someone for the Lazarus ministry, but you didn't live in the Lazarus house, they would just give you basic information like, Hey, if they want help, call this person and they'll come talk to them because they live in that Lazarus house. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. so you saw it living there and, and being, well, and I went through it, but also like the people, if you don't live in that house, you don't really know. And then they make you, I don't know how, I don't know. They somehow manipulated into like, well, we know it's not best for them to sit and just be thinking all day. And it's like, okay, but like it's also not best to make them do physical labor when it's 90 degrees outside. Like it's also not the best thing. So like, what else can we do? Right. right. So, you know, I challenged it a few times and, you know, kind of got not really like told anything specific, just mostly dismissed. And then one day I was with a woman and I, and I called, And I, you know, the woman that's in charge of the women's part of Lazarus' ministry, and I told her, like, she needs to go home. So, like, somebody needs to come get her and let her go home, or I can take her home. but Like, she can't do it. Like, I know she can't. She's prayed. She's trying. She's not even just, like, being, you know, ridiculous. She can't do it. Right. And I think it's good if we let her go home. So, she did come and take her home, and she ended up staying after that because, um, You know, it was like, you gotta, you can't just come at people coming from that at this in the same way every single person. There's no being led by the spirit. There's no, um, but you portray it as something that it's not. And unless you are there living in those houses, you don't know that. You don't really see that. And the people that are living there, you're, you're made to think that it's some, it's for another reason that's better than the original thing we said. So people just forget about that.
1: Right. Right. It's characterized as one thing. You, 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 this is meant to be a spiritual moment of decision, uh, and everyone who who is around this struggling person is is, is joining them to think of it as a way to seek, search for God and get clean, and yet at the same time, the, the double standard is there.
2: Mm-hmm. Does, that, does yeah. that sound right? Yeah, yeah, and it's like, you know, like I was saying before, like, I feel like there have been so many times, too, in those situations where you just argue something with them, specifically Zach and Rosie, you know, you argue something with them, and they can use the same argument argument they made to make one point and use it to make a totally different point. They'll just switch it depending on what they want. Right. So it's like you guys take literal Bible verses and use them against people to get what you want. And you know, people that are either afraid to challenge you or don't know better than you are deceived by you or don't know how to argue the word with you. Like you're, you're, you know, coming at people who are either have no background knowledge of the Bible or are so desperate. They're just willing to.
1: Yeah. you. you yeah. know? Or, so, these, so these Bible hammers, these verses are used as, as basically, you know, a bludgeons to get people to submit to the authority and there are mm-hmm. people who are obviously not going to buy it and split. And from what I gather, uh, when I was speaking with, uh, uh, Ernie and June Sickler not too terribly long ago, uh, they were, we were talking about the last ministry and they really felt that, 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 that whole situation really wasn't as even really as effective as they want to They put so much effort and time into making it. It could have been so much more effective had it been led by the Holy Spirit,
2: but it was not. Mm-hmm. It was not. And, you know, when I first went into Lazarus Ministry, I was not the first drug addict that they had brought in, but I was still kind of a guinea pig for them because they had, there were still a lot of things they were learning as I was there. like. Little things like they would put the alarm on the door, but they put it on the inside of the door, so you can turn it off. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> turn it <on> <laughs> like you know things yeah. like that. Was like little learning curves. Yeah,
3: you're <laughs> we
2: like, okay, you guys need to learn how to think like a criminal. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> but, yeah.
2: Um, you know, like those things. But like, they didn't really know what they were doing, and I, I think that I was a challenge for them in many ways. But I was also very quickly um deceived by them too. Like I followed them pretty quickly. So on both ends, it was like. It started off rough and like we butted heads. I had escaped a few times. <laughs> I left one time and then I one time snuck out the window and left in the middle of the day because I just got, I can't even explain it. And this is exactly what I told them is I got so anxious. I wasn't detoxing still or anything. I was not sick. I was not, you know, I was like happy at being there. And then it was just like one day I was so anxious and I felt afraid and I just felt like I had to go and Sebastian and one of my friends ended up chasing me to the gas station and talked to me in the parking lot for an hour and a half. And then, you know, it, I went back with them and it was like, I look back at those things now and it's like, I, you know, they helped me to, to, to make, you know, they made me believe that that was like, you're just saying, you, you know, we took you off your medicine when you came here. And it's like, yeah, that's another thing is people come in on mental health medicines and they tell you you're not allowed to take them when you come in. And for me, it wasn't that big of a deal just because I was diagnosed wrongly anyways, because they did that when I was on drugs and it wasn't, you right. know, whatever. But some people genuinely need those things and you are, you cannot take those away from somebody, you know, when they're used to being on those and just having to stop taking it. Yeah. So they're not a medical facility.
1: Right. But they posed as one, didn't they?
2: yeah and they would tell people that they're not but it's like in my house i had a nurse that lived there and she didn't work she worked you know for uc but she would be the one that everyone would call if something was wrong she would come before you would go to the doctor no one's, you know they were very slow to do something like that um call jessica see what jessica has to say blah blah blah. and and you know then there was like physical therapist so if you hurt yourself she's going to come look at your knee she's going to come do this like so they weren't, but they were they like, yeah. made it to where? and then they went they sent this other girl like we well, you should go to school for to be a psychiatrist, yes, so that you can give therapy to all the people that are here the way we want you to, and we don't have to trust someone else to do it,
1: <laughs> yeah, sounds about right from what I, from what I gathered too now when in the, when the when the rubber met the road, and people who were profoundly disturbed both who they felt they could invest in. Uh, needed actual counseling uh, they were mm-hmm. sent to to counselors uh that that the the community actually had retained for this right professional counselors yeah
2: basically may have well may has may as well have been on their payroll because <laughs> you you know they told you who you were going to see they set up the appointment for you and it was always with the same person every single person went to the same person so You didn't go alone, you know, they didn't, you didn't ask, of course, they made it to where, like, okay, well, you didn't say we couldn't come in, but, like, you also didn't ask, you know what I mean, like, those kind of things are, like, just a very vulnerable thing for people that they manipulated and had their eyes on for, you know, they had in a specific controlled space for a reason.
1: So, this is a third-party professional counselor who was suffering and allowing uh leadership from uh from Gladstone to sit in on the council
2: is yeah, that right I had yeah they had sent me to see him after I left out the top window they said I needed to go see him and um they had my house coordinator who was our the house coordinator in Eliza's Lazarus room house is also like the one that is the point person for the Lazarus guest. So she came with me, but nobody said anything. They just like, I just thought that was the rule. Like she had to come in with me. I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone else alone. So I figured, you know, you know, I had seen him, I think twice. And every time I left there, I just felt unsettled because he also claims to be a believer and a man of God. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I have a weird thing with that
1: yeah so do I, and we're 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 certainly not going to finish a discussion on that because to me it's yeah. one of the most egregious forms of abuse that I think I've ever heard yeah, you are
2: attacking somebody at one of the most vulnerable areas of their lives and one of the most vulnerable spaces in their lives. And you're still manipulating it and using it to your own advantage and not helping anyone to heal. You're not, that's not the goal.
1: Right. And we're not done with this subject. We're going to need to change it, but we're, this is (laughs) an incredibly important and point that I appreciate your providing perspective on simply because it shows to what extent Gladstone would, would resort to such uh, emotional, spiritual skullduggery. To get, mm-hmm. the dirt, to get dirt on people, uh, to bring it up to them. Cause for what yeah. I, for, because that information they would learn about their weaknesses and their struggles certainly became public knowledge really quickly among the leadership, didn't it?
2: Well, yeah. And, yeah, it's like they made you feel crazy about it, but it's like, no, I want to know how every elder knows about this situation that I didn't share with any of you or, you know, or that I shared with one of you. You know, why why is this some public knowledge thing? And it's because they use it when they need it. And, for example, one of the biggest things I see them doing when they use people's dirt against them is when they want to pursue a relationship. If somebody wants to court someone or has feelings for someone, even confesses they have a crush on someone, they jump down your throat with that. They make it seem like the most ridiculous thing ever. And if you are persistent, they have plenty in their pocket to tell you about this person that might make you not want to be with them. And it may or may not even be real information. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Very manipulative and very just plain evil.
1: That is yeah. just not. Yeah. I mean, right. it, it is. I mean, to me, it's, it's, this is not Christian fellowship. This is not Christian formation. Uh, this no, is cultic. This cult is empire, which he has said himself. Yeah. Well, explain it to me. He, I, I've heard this over and over again. What was this comment Zach said about building an empire there in in in, in the, the area? About uh, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm I'm always wanted to ask somebody about that, and you you brought it up. and I appreciate your elaborating. What what was what did he say? What was meant by that? What, what how did everybody perceive it?
3: So
2: i I had heard this before. But when he, you know, when it's told to you in the setting of community, it's told to you in a, in a very light way of like, he wanted to build an empire for God. Like, you know, people, he said, I said it that way because of this, but it's like, then you hear from people who knew him back then and he was going and hunting vampires in the woods with, and suddenly just said, I'm going to build an empire here, a Christian empire here. Mm. And that's exactly what he did, but it became Zach's empire. Which I believe was the intent from the beginning. I honestly don't think Zach started out deceived. Of course, I don't know that, but it's like I feel like every stage of community has been very intentional.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I, I can't agree with you more. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was just
3: by accident.
1: Oh no, it was very intentional indeed. I certainly agree with that. After all the writing and research and interviews I've done about about Gladstone, um, mm-hmm. there are definite. Definite um, indications that that's exactly what he did. He he had a he had a master plan. He knew what he was going to do, and he knew how he was going to do it because he he was the golden child. He knew. And
2: what's hilarious about all of that is he he does it by and he tells you that he left some extravagant life behind to to be you know living for God and to to be a part of this community. And he, and the whole story he tells about where he was before was a lie. He never, he, you know, he said he was this big politician's assistant. He like worked with a politician. He was super successful and he gave it all up to start this community because God told him to. And it's yeah. like, we, you know, later find out he never was that. That was never okay. even real. So,
3: yeah. you
2: know, your intention, even the way, even the thing you tell people your intention was, was that made up story.
1: Yeah. Right. And he supposedly became celibate for the kingdom of God.
2: Yeah, just like he pushes several people into doing that. So then once you commit to it, when he pushes you to and you question it later, he says, Oh, well, you shouldn't have made the commitment. you're not ready, you've already done it. And it's like, yeah, out of manipulation.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's so much more we can say about that. So <laughs> but, yeah. well, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to take that for another time. But, uh, so even after so many people suffered so much abuse and manipulation there. Uh, we've we, we've just, you know the same people who assert that Glass is a damaging place. They've agreed that the, apart from all that, the group connections and fellowship everyone had there as people living community together were wonderful.
2: And, and that's what's hard about it all is that you genu- have genuine love for people that are there, and people that are there genuinely have love for you, and they are hurt by leaving, and they don't understand, and they don't. They think you're wrong. They think that you're something's, you know, up with you and that. And then they're even more upset because they think you're outside of God's will and all this stuff to where they just kind of give up on you. And really yeah, you're trying to tell them the whole time, like, Hey,
1: no, can, can you take me through? Okay. Let's, let's do an example here. And this, this might be a painful thing to have to have to bring up, but you, you can share with me whether it's something you can do or not. Uh, can you take me through a specific moment? I know for some of our viewers, this might, or some of our listeners, this might be a struggle to listen to. But can you take me through any specific moment that you can recall in which you saw the elders acting upon Zach's direction, in which they really, literally, just went on and on, verbally abusing somebody for for some time over some slight, over some problem, over some issue, uh, and tell me exactly what they would say. How they would say it? I mean, what what language would they use? I don't think they cussed necessarily, uh, but you don't have to okay. use profanity. Yeah, right. <laughs> Again, you don't have to use <laughs> profanity to cuss somebody. Can you share with me what was going? On? What 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 the person was doing? I mean, what the situation was? I mean, what was going on? What I mean, why why would people look at it and just say, "Oh, this is of God."
2: Right, and, and there are two. Just as soon as you asked me that, there are two specific situations that come to mind. Um, that have never left my mind, but have always rubbed me the wrong way, um, where I saw Zach as a straight up bully and like, it was awful. So there's one specific situation where, you know, we, we had a woman that lived with us and she had two children and they, you know, were yeah. in the middle of a big ordeal because she was planning on leaving. And, but she, you know, had talked to one of like our house elder and said, And they had agreed that she could stay for a couple weeks because they wanted to make sure she had somewhere to go with her kids and that it was okay for her to stay. And then the next morning, when this other elder had shared that with Zach, Zach was not okay with that and made him go back on what he said and go and tell that person they had to leave right then and there. Um, and, And they did because that's what Zach said to do. As an elder, that elder was told by Zach to do that, and he went back on his word and did that and it's like and had this girl out by the end of the day with her two kids after they had just told her something else and like that is not biblical either like you can't even if you didn't agree with the decision you don't get to tell them they have to go back and tell this person now and they were very cold to her and cruel to her and cold-hearted and I'm sure that was because it's easier to have to do that to somebody when you harden your heart but it's like it just wasn't right you know and then another situation was when I had first lived the house I lived in at first when I uh was in Lazar's ministry, there was a roommate of ours who was <laughs> she was difficult. You know, there was right. a lot of, she you know, there were a lot of issues between her and a lot of people in and outside the home, but nothing that was like earth shattering. You know, she wasn't like whatever. It it didn't need to get to this point. And there was a day where I was super upset because we had been up all night with a big thing going on with her. And, you know, I, it was just a big, dramatic, stressful thing. And Zach had asked me what was wrong. And when I had shared it with him, just what had happened, even just the previous night, he was like instantly pissed said that we were having a house meeting with him and Rosie and this housemate and everyone's going to be there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Okay, and this has been going on for way too long, and no one's told kept us updated, blah, blah, blah. Well, meanwhile, I've been talking to Rosie about this, so I'm confused about that. But, you know, it, it hasn't gone unspoken of. But I guess Zach had just hit his limit with this person because it's somebody who is difficult for him. And him and Rosie came to our house that evening, and from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. without any breaks in between, any, you know, nothing, they specifically Zach, but, you know, they tore her apart. She was crying. She tried to cover her face at one point because she had been crying, and he's just, oh, wah, 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 me, 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 that's all you care about. And was telling her that she's manipulative, and he doesn't care if she's crying, and she's awful. Nobody likes her. She is not a pleasant person, and nobody wants to be around her. And the damage she's caused, all these people, and just for four hours straight, and he literally did that, like made that voice and everything, like a child taunting her, like nye, 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 that's all you care about. Like, you know, and like was like being ridiculous. And I'm like, What why is this how we're handling this? Like it just was so uncomfortable. Everyone mm. was so uncomfortable.
1: But, but they stood but they stood there and watched.
2: Yeah, because nobody nobody is going to challenge Zach.
1: Even nobody. the elders. How many elders was he by himself or was he with other elders?
2: No, him and Brian Roselli were there, and Brian, though, and this is, like I was saying before, actually pains me. He was probably the one I was the closest to, and, you know, it's very hard for me to realize this now, but he is, I believe, as aware of what's going on as Zach is.
3: I think he is the only
2: other elder that is fully aware, and he was the only one that was there with Zach, and there's no reason he needed to be, because Zach was our house elder. Nobody else, no other elder was involved in our house. So I'm not sh- I'm, I'm sure that there are very intentional reasons about why he brings who he brings. but,
1: um, mm. you know. That's, yeah, that's, and unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, and listeners, and all point in between, this is not an uncommon thing in any spiritually abusive movement. And unfortunately, in a place like Gladstone, where people live communally, they live together, they're in an environment where this sort of thing can happen at any time, this is not a, this is not abnormal, right? It's basically what goes on in Cannon Carter at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to anyone there.
2: Well, and they try not to, but if you are someone who doesn't conform quickly to what they want, they will quickly get like that with you to either scare you into doing it or to make you look a certain way to other people who are now going to be on you about being a certain way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's it's just it's just a, the standard modus operandi, the MO uh, mm-hmm. for cultism. It's just the way it works. So. So and as you're, as everyone's watching this and you're watching this, what's going on in your mind? I mean, you, 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 you is is this in an any able- way shape or form changing your, your your uh your views about what you came to believe about Gladstone? I mean, you were defending it. You're believing this, this place was the gate of heaven, you know? Right. I mean, yeah, what, exactly. was, what was going on within you about that, uh, in, in terms of, of, of maybe reassessing your, 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 your commitment there?
2: Well, and that's the thing is, you know, Zach is all powerful until he makes something that could even be almost a mistake. And if that's the case, he either will manipulate it to where it wasn't mistake and he was right or you have to realize that he's still human and he uses that to his his advantage like well you know i'm human too so i make mistakes too and so you didn't make a mistake you sat for four hours and grilled this girl you know in front of everyone and made her look absolutely stupid Mm -hmm. and and for what for to what what was the end goal there because i don't know that it was beneficial so i'm just wondering and you know it's like you can't he can't question him. He has an answer for everything.
1: Right. Is she, is she still there?
2: <laughs> yes. And we've even, I know at least one person who had reached out and apologized to her, specifically for that situation, telling her that she, she was sorry that that happened to her. And she wrote back a well-scripted message about how that was what she needed, and they did nothing wrong to her, and don't talk about her friends like that, and totally mm-hmm. defending them.
1: So, All right. Yeah. The person's response... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the perfect response of a program robot. Mm-hmm.
2: But, you know, and she's uh, been there for over a decade, so she's very
1: oh gosh. Uh, deeply rooted. Yeah, yeah. So I would take it that at this point, things like this were starting to get you to reassess your – your involvement there. Now what, now, what level of leadership did you say you were at? You were, a, were you a house leader there? I mean, I it, a, explain, could you explain the, the hierarchy? How, how is, how are they structured and, and what, what part of the structure yeah. were you?
2: So the way that a house is structured, structured is there is a three part leadership where one person is the house pastor who deals with the pastoral issues amongst the house and it's kind of like the, um, I don't know, like the caretaker almost. And then the coordinator is in charge of all the practical things and making sure people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, whether that be chores or at house prayer when they're supposed to be, or really the coordinator is the hated person because you're (laughs) the one that's telling everyone what to do and challenging people. And a lot of times being told to challenge people on things that are not um, necessary, but, um, you know, we were just following Following our lead. But,
1: totally
2: um, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, sorry, where the heck was I going with that? I, um, cars,
1: you mentioned one. Oh, one. yes.
2: So, yes. So, sorry, the coordinator then is in charge of all that stuff. And then you have a house treasurer who is in charge financially. You, they get your house check every month, deposit it, pay whatever bills for the house need to be paid out of it, give whatever is supposed to be given for groceries for that month and blah, 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 blah. Um, So that's the three, whatever. So the treasurer has no um, authority besides making decisions about money. The coordinator and the house pastor, they say, are on the same level. Um, They just deal with different realms of things, but they make decisions together. And I can almost just tell you positively that that isn't always the case. But a lot of people that were teams in that way actually did work well together. So, of course, it seemed like a good thing. And. You know, whatever. So anyway, so I was the coordinator of the house, the second house that I lived in. Um, and we had a pretty, a pretty difficult house. And, um, I just remember like
1: starting to realize. Excuse me. What makes a house easy or difficult in Gladstone?
2: So they tend to group people together that have Like if, if, you know, the people that have a lot of issues, whether that be behavioral issues, mental issues, um, whatever, you know, physical ailments, whatever, they usually try to group those people together, which can make a house difficult because it's hard to, it's hard to span that much care amongst people that need it that badly. And then you have houses where most people are pretty strong and good and you know, everything's good to go. And that made, that changed gotcha. a little bit over time, like back and forth they would kind of start to spread that out and stuff. But specifically when I became the coordinator of that house, it was a
3: Molly. Something. Um not nothing that was like Molly,
2: could you, you know, repeat
1: what you just said, uh could you repeat it again? Your phone dropped out.
2: Um
1: and, and yes. give, give me about give me about ten seconds of silence and repeat that to help me find this spot in the, on, on the audio real quick. So wait about ten seconds and repeat that. Thank you.
2: Okay, so um, there, you know, that tends to make a house a little bit more difficult because it's harder to span the care. But they started switching that up a little bit. But when I was The coordinator of this house, you know, we had someone who was struggling with severe mental illness. Like there was some things that weren't people's choices or fault. It was like maybe nobody's fault, but they had some stuff going on that was very difficult. And we had another person with us that was awesome and a big support in the house, but also had a lot of physical ailments. So it was, you know, she needed some care. And, you know, we just had, we had kids living with us. We had a daycare in our basement and it was just kind of crazy and then I, um, where,
1: where and then these, I, just just an aside, where were all these children coming from? Well, they I mean, they, they, if you're not, there was very limited marriage within Glassstone, uh, having child's care. Are these strictly children from within the group or from outside?
2: These were, um, children from within the group. So everyone that came to the daycare lived in community, either because okay. their parents lived there or some of them were the married couple's kids but also there were a few single mothers that lived with us um that we had their kids there and then there was one person whose children came who they weren't technically a part of community but they came to our services and stuff you know i don't really know that whole situation but mostly
3: it was people that lived there yeah there, molly yeah sorry i'm sorry
2: hello
1: yeah. Okay. You yeah you're, you you were discussing. Um, I I interrupted you. I was talking to you about uh, who the children were. Now you you're back to the original point. Sorry. Okay.
3: No, you're okay. So
2: um, you know, a house being more difficult. That's kind of what I mean when I say that is when there when there's a lot going on in one house, and then it makes you. It, it almost makes people easier to control. Giving people a lot stuff to do like that because you're up from 5 a.m. till sometimes midnight because you're having conversations, you're putting out fires, you're trying to help this person get through this part of their day, or, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that, then you're going to work for this nine hours and then you're coming home and then you have this to do, then you have to be a part of house prayer and then you have to do this and then this person wants to have a conversation because they're struggling. So now here we are going to bed finally at 1 a.m. and then you have to get back up at 5 and it's like it almost makes it, you just go on autopilot and almost makes it hard for you to defend or sorry, to think for mm-hmm. yourself at all because you're just yeah. kind of going.
1: Right. Right. So that was a that that's how it uh how it worked out there with that. So um when it worked out that way, uh was it easier for people to uh to kind of accept what was going on there? If uh, everyone thought, well, this is just a difficult house, these are just difficult places people are in,
3: it, yeah, it, it made it and easier it was, for them
1: to control and, like you said, commit, uh, um, basically dominate people's lives. Yeah,
2: and, and, and what was hard for me was I was one of those people who, you know, I'm a little bit, um, I'm not like a... you know, strict leader by any means at all. I'm like super fun and loose in most things. But like, I don't like putting up with things that like need to be in the butt. And I don't like addressing things and harping on things that aren't important and not going to help someone at that moment or whatever. So I, you know, a lot of times would challenge a lot of things in those, you know, scenarios of like, hey, like I would go to Brian a lot and tell him like this person that I'm living with, like, I'm not just coming and complaining to you because it's hard for me. Like, I'm losing my mind because I don't know how to help or what to do. But, like, that's what I'm expected to do. Like, I don't feel like anyone's helping us. Like, we don't know what we're doing. Like, and I would always be made out to think that I was just complaining and I didn't like her and this and that. And it's like, they, like, convinced me I didn't like her. I never even had anything <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> wrong with
3: her. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm
2: like, no, the poor girl needs help. Like, yeah, something's very wrong and it's out of our um realm. To help
1: her with. Right. So they force people into these situations. They force you, caring folks in Gladstone, into these terrible predicaments where you're being called upon to provide help to them that you can't give. Right. I mean, and, then I mean, just,
2: and then, and then, and then you still feel like you're being run ragged because you are just being burnt out. And then they're like, you're, well, it's cause you're not relying on the Lord. It's like, you just stuck in this cycle of like, okay, I'm just always trying to do the next thing that you say I need to do, but it always like ends up not being it, <laughs> you know, or what's right. so hard. So like, okay, why don't we try something else? It's like, okay, no, you're just complaining and you just don't like her and you don't want to deal with her. She's your responsibility. God's given you, you know, this responsibility right. and complaining about it. And it's like, hold on. I am not – I didn't say she needs help someone get her off my hands. I'm not going to help her. I'm trying to say we, something uh, else. We need to do something else. Right. Yeah.
1: You want to know how? And they're not telling you. And they, they, right. they're, just, they're just turning around and blaming you for wasting your time and complaining about
2: it. Right. And <laughs> it's like, why does it always have to be that I'm complaining? I'm not yeah. complaining. I'm trying yeah. to – you well, know, cause they'll be like, well, you need to look at your heart in this. And it's like, right. okay, you just, and then you end up getting convinced that your heart's ugly in it when it's actually not to begin with. Right, right.
1: So really for you, I mean, it was, it was a whirlwind tour. I mean, you went in there, you, you, you hit the ground running, you tried to be everything that they expected you to be and to be a leader yeah. to helping people and then finding yourself in positions where you couldn't help. Then you began yeah. to see all these other things. What was the moment in which, you, in which they, in which they, you know, the, the proverbial turn comes to mind? What, which, uh, you, you find, you, you got hit with the last straw that broke your back. That really opened your eyes and made you realize something's wrong here. I need to reconsider why I'm here. Yeah,
2: I think that. So there were things, you know, the last leading up to like me leaving the last couple of months, there were, there were a handful of situations where like I'd have little red flags here and there, like where I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel right or that's not, doesn't seem typical, or like I started just as I was getting closer to Zach and being a leader, I was seeing like he's cruel. Like he's a cruel person. He, right. he picks on people. He degrades people. He betrays people's trust. He, will tell people things about other people. I, I started seeing those things in him, and I started thinking to myself, like, I don't trust you. So now all these other things are starting to feel like, oh, no, well, what about this, and what about this? And, like, right. I was supposed to go on a trip with someone to visit her family in Pennsylvania after her sister's wedding, and this family in particular had had quite a few doubts about community and had challenged them quite a bit and they wanted me to go with her. Zach told me I had to go with her because he knew I wasn't afraid to go head-to-head with her parents or whoever if I had to and I the whole like from the moment I found out that Zach said I was going and had already bought my flight and everything I was—I had just had a weird feeling I just was like I don't like this like I don't like that I'm, like, every day working with this girl, prepping her what to do when we go to see her family. And, like, I I started to tell her, like, you need to be asking the Lord before we leave. Like, so then I was confronted about that because she was, like, asking all these questions. And, you know, like, Zach's like, well, you know, her parents are probably going to ask stuff like this. Like, why can't you guys do this? Why can't this happen? And you need to know you know, you just, I just want you to be prepared for that. And it's like, he was prepping me to do it. And I already knew the answers because I had already been prepped before, but I started to think about those things where I'm like, wait, but I've seen this play out now for five years and I don't think that's what we do. Like, I don't think that we live know, the way that we yeah. portray that we are. Yeah. And I haven't seen that play out. I've seen you talk about being, you know, living biblically from the front of this, you know, the church, but like, All the other situations I've walked out with you, I've never, I have not seen that be the actual case. And I didn't say that to him, of course, because I wouldn't have dared in the moment, but I'm like, you know, I just started feeling weird about certain things. And I'm like, okay. So then literally I called my, you know, I just talked to my dad one night and I just told him like, you know, I think I need to leave here. Here are my concerns. And you know, my dad is very, um, afraid of me going back to what I was doing before, and so I knew I wanted to talk to him before I just left because I didn't want him to think, "Oh, typical, she probably messed up and dipped out." <laughs> yeah. Right, right, exactly. So, so I wanted. Isn't that like, a big
1: part of what people struggle with when they leave? They yes. don't want to be seen as 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 being found out, as being right. as being a failure.
2: Right. And then they, and then they tell people that, well, it's cause she, you know, they didn't have a strong relationship with the Lord and they went back to drugs and blah, blah. And they don't even know that. Yeah. They don't even know that that's what happened. So anyway, I, um, called my dad and he said, you know, he said, I didn't want to push you because if this is how you had to live for the rest of your life to be fine, that would have been okay. He said, but I was waiting for you to say it was time to go. And I think that's fine. And I said, if it makes you feel comfortable, I can come stay with you guys for a time. Because they weren't used to me being clean. It had been five years, but I hardly got to see them <laughs> while I was there. So my dad was so scarred by how it was in the past. So I went and stayed there with him for a while, built that trust up a little bit. And then, like, people started contacting my family. And people were giving my number to, like, Sebastian had reached out to me because I had texted one of my friends there, and she gave him my number. And then he was calling my mom over and over and over again. and
1: Wow. Sebastian um, was like calling her? your mother?
2: Mm-hmm. Now he knew my mom because we had baptized my mom. We had been talking, me, Sebastian and Alex, one of the other elders had been going there and talking to her about the gospel and all this stuff. And so he had been to her house and everything else and had her number from them. Maybe gonna they were going to maybe do some work at her house. So they had had each other's numbers and yeah, he was calling her and texting her and she was texting me saying like, um, I don't know what you want me to say. And I'm like, I don't know either. Like, first of all, I'm in shock too, and I'm still not even sure that I made the right choice because, of course, you have all those things hit you too when you actually decide to go, and you know all the things that they've drilled into your head about what that means right, you leave. Right. But, so, so but you your, know, bo- your
1: father, your father came and picked you up, and then that's when all this started. Yeah, my
2: sister, my sister came and got me. Okay. I kind of so I ended up leaving in what people and what I would have said when I lived, lived there in the quote-unquote wrong way, um, I snuck away and while everybody was <laughs> at the church because I had not, I knew what was going to happen if I said I was leaving. No matter what, I knew they were going to have everyone there that they know it, it would break my heart to see, begging me and crying to stay, and they would be drilling into my head how wrong I am, and I had known 100% in faith that I had to leave right then. I had to go, and I knew it. And I knew it without really knowing it. Like, of course, I wasn't like super confident, but I'm like, I just knew. It. I just was like, no, like, and I'm not just like two weeks in. Like, I'm, you know, like I,
3: I've been need there, it. yeah,
2: right. And so, my sister and her husband came and picked me up, and I just packed all my stuff that I could get in the garbage bags in the car, and we left. And I left myself in there because technically it was theirs. Um, and I did end up contacting the person I let a house with and letting her know before she got home just because I didn't want I didn't want to hurt people. You know, it, it was a very hard thing to do because it's like I know that this is gonna hurt people and they're not gonna understand, but I know that I can't handle telling Zach I'm leaving and then him doing that. I can't handle that. You know, yeah. like I don't want to I don't yeah. want to be guilted and, and it'd be more difficult to leave than it already is because I actually yes. do love people here <laughs> and I don't know the whole picture yet. So yes. where I have some, you know, red flags coming up, it's like, I also still wasn't sure. Like I still trusted Zach. I wasn't sure about I, I don't know. It was just very
1: confusing. So. Right. So you went to the time in which they were banging all the doors and ringing all the doorbells and, and, uh, doing all they could to uh signal their desire to, talk to you, connect with you, did you ever talk to them, reconnect with them at all, discuss this with them, or you just was that just it?
2: So I I've talked to Brian Roselli a little bit. Um he kinda you know, he messaged me on Facebook because originally because he needed I had um the password to somebody's phone and he needed it to change the password since I was no longer there. So he asked me for that and I did respond and give it to him and he Told me like, hey, justine, we love you. We're praying for you. I'm not gonna say a bunch of stuff, but just know like we love you. And that was kind of it. Well, and then, as I like started hearing different things and you know talking to the Lord about it, like I I was like, you know, I think I have a word for him, and I did. I shared it with him, talking about how um, I I believe it was a word about um, having a, a real fear of the Lord, but also I had. Another part of it, um, talking about like any one of you who leads these little ones astray, like it would be better for you to be thrown
3: mm-hmm. in
2: the water, you know, whatever, with the stone tied around your neck, like or whatever. And it's like, and I, he blocked me after I said him
3: that.
2: So um, that was the end of that. And then Justin Fay, who was an elder, um, and then was not an elder anymore for whatever reasons, since I had left, he was no longer an elder. And then he just recently left community about two and a half weeks ago, maybe.
3: Oh,
2: um, really? I didn't know that. And wow. That's a huge deal, a huge deal because he's been there since the beginning with Zach. He was Zach. He, Zach took him under his wow. wing. He became an elder while I was there and then became my householder. And then um, he, well, after I left, I heard that he was, taken out of his eldership position for, I don't know why, um, but, and then shortly after that, he left community, and he has also talked to me while being in community, and since leaving, very briefly, but um, that's a big deal, because he was an elder, and he has very much influence um, with people there, so even if he didn't say anything to anyone, or anything, him leaving in and of itself is a big
1: deal. Right, right, wow. Yeah, and it was just just Justin Faye,
3: right?
2: Yes. Yeah, I remember.
1: Mm-hmm. Him. Yeah, I remember. Re- yeah, yeah. Wow. So he, yeah, he was one of the, I think one of the, fat, the original four. The fat mm-hmm. Four. He was. Wow. He left. I did not know that. I heard the name and it just is on I mean, oh my gosh, he left. That, that would be yeah. like that would be like Joseph Smith losing Brigham Young.
2: Right. I can't very it very I similar. To that it was literally that is acts like. Wow. He was his. You know, partner from day one. So,
1: yeah, yeah, wow, incredible. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to prevail as to why he left, but uh, why do you think people leave now? Uh, There are people leaving. Uh, What are the reasons why they are leaving now?
2: I think that as we specifically, not just people hearing the things that we have to say and and knowing in their hearts when they hear it that there are things that they can think back on and know are wrong. I think on top of that, the Lord is doing something because we're doing something and He is, He is taking the blinders off of people's eyes. They're actually seeing what is going on. And some people are even getting bold enough to challenge them and walk away and not succumb when they argue it back. It's like they're starting to crumble. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we've been obedient. This whole, you know, group of people that have been trying to like expose this in a right way for right reasons. And I think that the Lord is working in our favor is genuinely what I believe. And I think people are being able, are finally being able to see things they weren't before.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's, I don't think you, you can repeat something so long and finally understand that, you know, that what you're hearing uh, isn't, isn't explaining things. And, and that's, that's an answer to prayer. I'm glad to hear that people are listening and, and, and can reconsider. How many people do you think have left? Uh, since we started this. I mean, I'm not claiming that our podcast has, has anything specific yeah. to do with it, but I'm just curious. In the last year, how many people think have left? This is just leave it at that.
2: So in the last year that I know of, I know at least, I could say at least eight people that have left. And the eight people, and not just people that have been there for, excuse me, for a couple of weeks, people that have been there for 10, 12 years are leaving. Wow. Several people that I can literally already – At the top of my head, think of four people who had been there for 10 years or longer that had left in the last year. And that were leaders, house pastors or Justin, having been an elder, you know, all of them were leaders in some way. It's like, that's a big deal. For A leader to leave is almost unheard of because you always hear about people leaving who, oh, well, they were a little bit weak here or they just, you know, whatever. Like, you never hear about, oh, one of the elders just left. Like, or, hey, you know, all of these house pastors are leaving. And not just, you know, the ones with difficult houses or with Lazarus' houses or
3: whatever. You know,
2: people that are just waking up.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Wow. Influential people, and that's that's right. the biggest thing.
1: The people who are respected, they, these weren't just some losers that just couldn't hack it. These are people who were there, right. have been through the storms, have been through the the, the struggles, have, have stood with and, and and stayed the course with Zach and the rest of leadership. And yet now... And are finding money. that
2: it's pointless and they're walking away from something they just devoted 10, 12 years of their life to. Yeah. That's
1: a big deal. That is. Well, I'm so sorry that people have to pay the price that way, but you know. Uh, uh, but it's
2: also amazing. There's so many people being broken free and so many people that can lead yes. other people to do the same thing. And that's so big.
1: Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm glad to hear that people are hearing, uh, are getting a new perspective on things that, 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 you know, boy, that, uh, <laughs> that cranks yeah. my motor. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. That's certainly something I'll yeah. continue to pray for. It's been so encouraging. Yeah. It's been, it's been awesome. So what, what is it, as, as we wind this down, what is it do you think people need to know about Gladstone? I mean, we're getting ready to have a major expose by a newspaper in the area there that are going mm-hmm. to bring out uh, their own their own investigation on Gladstone, and then after I I'm, I'm hoping I'm trying to get our own expose finished before then. I don't know if we will. We're we're very close. Uh, mm-hmm. But what do you think people need to know about Gladstone, uh, at Madison Place, uh, the coffee shop? I mean, all this stuff. <laughs> all about the day. I mean, this is this is a, a church, an incorporated church. That's an abusive cultic movement, as I see it, that has very well uh, built itself up into the community as being uh, a force to reckon with. And, and has been aided and abetted by far too many so-called Christian ministries and churches all over the area there uh, to accomplish what what they want, to, to, to mm-hmm. get the recruits But all all things said, I mean, what do you think people need to know about Gladstone?
2: I think, and honestly, these are just the two things that popped into my mind that I think people don't seem to see right away or think of right away or, or are aware of when they're going into a situation with them or approaching a situation with them is that every single conversation, every single movement made, every single decision made is intentional and manipulated by Zach, period. No matter what it's about, no matter who it's about, it is all very intentional and the other thing is that no communication is private ever. There is never a device you can reach somebody on or talk to someone on that is not subject to them seeing it.
3: Right. Ever.
2: There is never you are in total control when you are there. There is no you're 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 trapped.
1: Right. Big brother's watching you and his name is Zach.
3: Yeah.
2: Exactly. And, and, you know, they'll either go through your phone or people's phones have been hacked or people have all of a sudden known about things that they didn't know about that they're confronting you about as elders. And it's like, that's weird because that was to a message, you know, I don't know. It's just things. Well, and they'll even tell you like this person has full reign over your phone. And it's like, oh, okay, (laughs) cool. (laughs) You know, like, okay. But you know, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do. To be outside of the control of Zach and what Zach wants if you are a part of community. And that is absolutely the truth and there are no exceptions.
1: Right, right, exactly.
2: No matter what it looks like, it does not matter.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate your sharing. We're coming up on 90 minutes now. <laughs> but, but That's fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. We do at some point have to have, to, have to, uh, bring things to a closer. But before we do, uh, one of the things I always try to invite our, uh, our guests to do is, is just kind of share from their heart and mind and whatever they'd like to say, perhaps, to people who may be listening. I am certain that people in Gladstone – Zach on down are going to be listening to this. Uh, mm-hmm. They can't, they can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, there's yeah. too, there's too much going on. Everyone brings something to the table in these discussions that is uniquely theirs. And maybe there's something that you'd like to share with somebody who, who you're thinking about and who's there, or maybe there's something you'd like to say to Zach, or anyone else there, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the floor, and you share as long as you need to. But uh, what kind of what, what kind of closing thoughts would you like to leave uh, on our podcast for either Zach or community or just anyone else in, in particular? You, you have you have you have the mic. <laughs> um,
2: I think for me, one of one of the things that was super crippling to me that people just need to know is not true is that you're not you're not actually stuck. You do not have to stay. If you have any inkling of a red, you know, red flags or uneasiness, or you know the Lord is telling you that things aren't right, or you're having to continuously sear your conscience to go along with what, what community says, you don't have to do that ever. You don't, you never are stuck and you have the option to leave no matter what they make you think or feel like you have an army of people that have been there and that are ready to help and, And that will, like, uh, uh, there are so many times that I thought, like, well, what do I do if I leave? I don't have a car in my name. I don't, I haven't had a job in five years. I haven't had anything in my name. I haven't, what am I going to put on my resume? Like, you know, what am I going to do with this? And it becomes overwhelming. I don't have a phone. I don't have a car. I don't have money. I don't have this. Some people don't have family to go home to, you know, it's, it feels, and they make, they, they prey on the desperate people that feel stuck and feel like community is your lifeline. And it's not. Jesus is your lifeline and he's not bound to community. And, and Jesus is the one who is saving you. Jesus is the one who, who is above all. You don't, community, Zach, none of that stuff is meant to be imprisoning you. You are not meant to not have freedom in Jesus. You are meant to be free. And that means free to serve him and to follow him and to know what he's saying and to know him in his heart, not, not to follow Zach. That's what you're doing. You're calling Zach, and and if you have any, if you had any weight on your heart about anything, any situations that are going over in your head, do not harden your heart to those things. Let the Lord show you. Let Him show you. Like, don't just go to the script. Don't just go to what Zach always tells you or what things you know He's He's already answered you about before or whatever. Ask the Lord, and He will show you. He will. So. I think that's just the biggest thing for me is you're not stuck, you're not alone, and Mm -hmm. this is not how you're meant to live in Jesus. This is not it. There is so much more life to be had in him.
1: Right, right. The abundant life in Jesus Christ does not involve humiliation. Uh, It does not involve fear. You're just living in fear and anxiety.
2: That That is the opposite of his character. How can that possibly be right?
1: Right, exactly. And for anyone to rip on people like they do, uh, for I mean, it's, somebody pointed out not too terribly long ago that you know, the one who accuses people, the accuser of Christians in Scripture in Revelation twelve ten is Satan. Mm-hmm. The accuser, he's they call him the accuser of the brethren, and he will be thrown down. And that day is coming for anyone who does that, and that mm-hmm. is going to include Kajinski and his entire corrupt core there.
2: Yeah, and you know what? I want to say one more thing, too. Sure, go even ahead. For those, even for those of you who are elders or who, Zach, Zach, for you yourself, I'm speaking even to you, like, there is a real time coming where you're going to have to stand before Jesus. And I, not even for you, Zach, I don't want you to get before him with all of this. And it's not too late. So if you have any sense of love for the Lord, anything, any conscience, left, any fear, any right fear of the Lord. It's not too late, but one day it will be, and I'm still afraid of that day for you guys, and I hope I hope that you guys turn from these things that I think some of you very well know are not right.
1: Mm-hmm. But that's right. it. Right. And that day is coming. I mean, okay. uh, the scripture is very clear on that, and it's clearer than we ever, where we're so much more closer to it than we've ever thought possible. And places like like Gladstone Madison place are proof that that day is coming. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, take heed, don't no man deceive you. That's a, that's the big uh standard that we stand by with in our, in our, in our ministry here. We want to see people come to truth. We want to see people come to life. And, and Molly, yeah, thank I you.
2: Nothing to do. With, there's no hatred. There's no, yes. nothing like that. It's a hatred for the evil that's going on. And I want everyone to turn from it, including Zach. It, it is a, but I do believe that Zach is, is aware, and that's where it becomes a bigger right.
1: thing. So, right, exactly. But God allows u turns, as they say, and it still can happen. Mm-hmm. Where there's life, there's always hope. Uh, yep. But 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 the time is short, and yes. no one mm-hmm. no one is promised a tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's that's okay. not dramatic. That's not preacher bombast.
3: No, that's that's truth. True.
1: That's life. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Molly, thank you. Uh, I yeah. appreciate your sharing and we'd like to perhaps maybe have you come back but I really do appreciate everything you've done in trying to stand for truth and for sharing out of your heart was I'm sure uh, a great burden and, I do, and we yes. just want to agree with you and others that the the days of, of, of David uh, the mighty man there in Cincinnati are soon going to come to a, uh, an incredible close at God's mm-hmm. end not what we does mm-hmm. So I appreciate yep. your your coming to share on that. Thank you so very much, and yep. um, and God speed to you and all you've been doing.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and, if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you. My father used to have a saying, Jud. God sees the truth, but waits.